streaming website of the Preston Crest Church of Christ. We are a family of believers located in North Dallas, just south of LBJ Freeway on Preston Road. The purpose of this live stream service is to allow those not able to worship with us in person to join us and also to reach those not familiar with the Preston Crest Church. Unlike many TV, radio, or internet evangelists, we are not here to ask you for your money and we desire nothing in return from you. We would love for you to come and visit us in person whenever you can, but for now, we're glad that you've joined us by way of the Internet. And we pray that God will bless you as you worship with us this morning. Here I am to worship. Here I am to bow down. Here I am to say that you're my God. You're altogether lovely, altogether worthy, altogether wonderful to me. Here I am to worship, here I am to bow down. 
Here I am to say that you're my God. You're altogether lovely, altogether worthy, altogether wonderful to me.
glad you're here. Monty Masters is coming down here, and he's going to read uh, a passage from Psalms and then uh, lead us in a prayer as we begin our assembly this morning. Monty. So the reading today is from Psalms 103, 1 through 4. Praise the Lord my soul, all my inmost being. Praise his holy name. Praise the Lord my soul and forget not all his benefits who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with the love and compassion. Let's pray. Our God and Father in heaven, we're so grateful for the beautiful sunshine today, the blessing it is on us, and all the rain that we've had over the last couple of weeks. Help us not to take those gifts for granted. And God, as we think about the gifts that you give us as individuals, um, we pray that we use that for your glory and that we understand that it's for the furthering of your kingdom. We're so grateful for your son who died on the cross for our sins so that we can have the chance to share your love and grace with the rest of the world. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's, uh, let's be standing for these next several songs we're going to sing this morning. Hallelujah, praise Jehovah from the heavens, praise
helping us serve uh, communion this morning, then you can go ahead and move into position for that. And in just a moment, Bob Chisholm is going to come and share with us around the bread and around the cup this morning. Let's sing Revelation song as we're preparing for that this morning. Worthy is the
Worthy is the Lamb we just sang. Worthy is Jesus. But why? That beautiful song comes from Revelation 5, and it tells us the reason why. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because, because you were slain. And with your blood you purchased for God persons, persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom. I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands, and ten thousand times ten thousand. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that's in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. Why is Jesus worthy? Why do we declare his glory each Sunday in this supper? Why do we rehearse our commitment to him? What is the link between our baptism when we began our journey and this simple meal? this weekly celebration. As the Scripture says, it is because, because He was slain. Let's bow together. Father, thank You in Your wisdom and in Your mercy that You saw our failure. You saw the pit that we were in. And that Jesus took the consequence of our failure. He was slain. The cross. The sacrifice. Bearing our burden upon himself. Our failure. Our sin. Making them his own. And Father, as we hold the bread in our hands, as we turn it over in our hands and in our mind. We rehearse that sacrifice that he was slain and we recommit our lives to you. Hear our prayer in his name, Father. Amen. Come to the table and worship the Savior. Taste what forgiveness is for. His mercy will lead us, the grace of God feed us, making us hungry for more. 
His body was given for you and for me. Look on the cross and believe. The bread has been broken. Our eyes have been opened. Oh, come, Lord, restore and renew. At this point in our worship, we are eating unleavened bread. Our purpose? It represents in the New Testament the body of Jesus Christ. In no sense is it the actual physical body of Christ, yet it is a symbol to us of that body, and Christians all over the world for more than 2,000 years, on every first day of the week, remember the body of Christ. As we look back at the cross and we see the face of Jesus, we see his love. We can look at his hands and we feel his welcome. We look at his side and we see the bleeding of grace and mercy. And when we look at his feet, we realize that he walked in our very shoes. These are some of our thoughts as we eat the bread. We remember this is the body of Christ. The bread has been broken. Our eyes have been opened. Oh, come, Lord, restore and renew. Your word has been spoken. Why do we adore him? From 2 Corinthians 5. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Let's again pray. Father, it's 
hard to imagine someone taking my sin. It's very difficult for me to imagine someone taking all the sin, all the failure of every life that has ever lived upon themselves. Father, we understand a little more the cry from the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's the consequence of our failure to be cut off from you and to have been eternally with you and then to voluntarily be cut off from you is only explained by amazing love. And so, Father, we adore him. We praise you. And as we hold the cup and think of the cross and the blood that spilt from it, we recommit ourselves to you. We say to you that we are yours. Please, Father, hear our prayer in his name. Amen. Expecting Jesus to meet me in this place. I come expecting to receive His mercy and His Expecting Jesus to meet me in this place. I come expecting Jesus to meet me in this place. As we continue in our time of communion with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we now partake of the fruit of the vine. When Jesus took the cup, he said, This is my blood. Now, of course, this is not the actual blood of Jesus, but it is our reminder on each first day of the week of the sacrifice he made for each of us. We drink in both thoughtful reflection of what he did for us and in a spirit of celebration and praise for the hope we have in him. I come expecting Jesus to
How y'all doing today? Gorgeous day outside. It's good to be together. If you're a guest, if you're visiting with us, we are so glad that you're with us. You chose to worship with the family of Christ here at Preston Christ this morning. Uh, we'd like you to fill one of these cards out for us. This will help us keep you up to date with what's going on at this church. Uh, if you're a member as well, fill one of these out. It really helps us put this in the collection plate that will come by in just a minute. And to prepare for that, let's bow our heads together. God, as Bob reminded us through those scriptures this morning, we, um, wow, we have so much to be thankful for. And as we enter, Lord, into a season of thanksgiving, we are thankful. We're thankful for people. We're thankful for opportunities that you've given us. And yeah, we're thankful for things as well. But most of all, as we were reminded this morning, we are thankful for you. We're thankful for you. And out of that overflow of thanksgiving and grateful hearts, we offer back some of what you've blessed us with this morning. In the name of Christ, amen. Please, you'll notice on that front cover is the Thanksgiving food drive. And yet again, we've placed the ingredients that we want you to bring back. We have boxes in the foyer. Thank you, Faith Girls, for putting the boxes together. You guys are awesome. 380 boxes these girls taped together for you Friday night. So, yeah, good stuff. 380 boxes equals 380 families that we're going to be coming in contact with on Friday the 20th. So if you don't mind taking one of these boxes with you, inside the box you will find another list of the items that you will need. In fact, on the back of the list is pictures. So if you want to take your, your son or daughter or your grandson or daughter with you and give them this, they can find the one, the picture that matches you know, the, the item on the shelf. Take this, take a box, and uh, help us out. Bring that back next Sunday. We had several people just walk in with their sacks of groceries, put it in a box, and they're done. Love that. So, but if you don't get a box today, more than likely they're going to be gone after this service. So make sure you grab one of those. Take it home. Bring it back full next Sunday, and we'll uh, have different areas that you can drop those boxes around the, the building, and that will help us. 
All right, another couple of other things coming up. Next week is also the blood drive. So if you will help us out, if you know for a fact that you're going to donate blood next Sunday, please go ahead and stop at the table over here uh, in the foyer on the south end and sign up for a time. That'll help us as we plan for that. Obviously, they'll take walk-up business they uh, never pass up an opportunity to uh, extract a little blood out of us. So, uh, but uh, please, uh, if you know that you're going to do that, go ahead and sign up for a time and, and help us with that. A lot of other stuff coming up. You can see that in that bulletin section as well. We're going to stand. We're going to greet each other. We're going to send kids on up to Children's Church as well. Let's stand and greet one another. As we continue in our worship service this morning, we enter into our fellowship time. This is a wonderfully special time within our service. It is now that we take just a minute or two to reach out and say hello to those who have gathered here with us this morning, to share a kind or encouraging word with one another. In larger churches such as ours, this time is very important as we seek to keep a small church feeling within our large church family. Some greet a visitor with a kind smile and a simple hello, while others take a few moments to catch up with a friend they've not talked with in a while. Fellowshipping with one another is very much a biblical concept ordained by God, and it is also an essential part of being a strong and healthy church. Let us be All right, church. On Zion's glorious summit stood a numerous host redeemed. By blood they him their king in
Amen. All right. Um, hey, one thing we've got, <laughs> it's a little sparse over here today. We have, I, I think we have well over 70. I think I, you're here. I saw like 90 people up there at the retreat yesterday. It was fantastic. It's still going on. They're still up the road. Um, so thank you, singles who are here, um, because a whole lot of our younger B1 group are up in Lake, at, not in Lake Texoma. Hopefully, it's kind of cold up there. But they're, they're near Lake Texoma having a retreat face-to-face, and the focus is on getting face-to-face with God and very inspired by seeing them and playing with them and eating with them and... Uh, and hearing them worship last night, so that's that 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 is is great, and uh, and we just wish it's kind of interesting. You can actually, where are they? You can leave the parking lot, okay? Turn right, go up Preston Road, and never turn again until you get to the retreat site and turn right there. Of course, you have to drive an hour and twenty three minutes because it's at Lake Texoma, but it's on it's on Preston Road. It's on Highway two eighty nine. So that's kind of interesting there. Um, we are on version this morning, if you want to follow along there. It's an app for your phone mobile device, or you can open the bulletin, follow along in there as well. We would invite you as we continue the series on Jonah, the Mulligans series. We are, as, as that video kind of addresses, we do keep our gaze too low sometimes. We do get distracted by a lot of the things going on in our lives and around us. I read a story um, recently... This was from the New York Daily News. They reported back in March a story about a woman named Sheena, 27 years old, Floridian, who got herself into some some big trouble or potential big trouble because of her distractedness. Uh, Apparently, Sheena was so engrossed in, guess what, her phone. Sheena was so engrossed in her phone that she walked right onto these railroad tracks as a freight train was speeding toward her. It did hit her, but it was a glancing blow. She survived, but she was thrown up into the air, tossed about 40 feet, and the emergency responders got there and had this conversation with her and found out, yeah, she was a distracted walker, okay? We've all heard about distracted drivers, like 70% of moving automobile accidents involve somebody who is distracted generally these days on their phone, okay? So take that with you. Don't be on your phone while you're driving, okay? Um, But she had actually managed to walk around these crossing gates that were designed, of course, to protect her, to warn her that a train was coming, but she was so into that texting, she just walked right in front of a train, And I thought as I was reading that story about kind of the spiritual dimension of that, of how we don't look up. I mean, God is constantly calling us to look up. And it may be through a beautiful sunset. It may be through uh, the face of a child. It may be through the Holy Spirit, some prompting in your heart. But God is saying, look at my face. Look up. This is where you find your life. Don't be so distracted that you forget about me. And yes, we talked last week in Jonah chapter 1 about how God speaks. And He does. He speaks to us. He speaks to us through His Word. 
He speaks to us through circumstances. He speaks to us through the community of faith. He speaks to us through the Holy Spirit in our lives. God speaks to us. And sometimes it, it is kind of like those, those crossing gates at a railroad track. You're His child. And He wants to protect you. He wants to keep you in a safe place where you can grow and thrive. He wants to keep you away from danger. And so we listen when God speaks. We pay attention to His Word because the God that we know and serve is not some capricious deity inventing new rules for us to follow so that He can sap the joy out of our lives. He's a heavenly Father who loves us as His children. And everything He says and everything He does is to bring us into this life of abundance where we can thrive where we can grow into our full potential, who we're, we, we were created in Christ to be. Now, this is... Jesus said a lot of important things. Um, one of the great things that he said, a powerful thing and a paradoxical thing, an apparent contradiction, he says in Matthew chapter 10, verse 39, and it is about this idea of fa- finding our lives of finding out why we are here. He says, whoever finds his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. When we look up, when we look to Christ, fix our eyes on Jesus, and forget about our agendas, grabbing onto the things that we think will give us meaning, he says, that's the aha moment where you find out what life is really all about. And in our conversation in Jonah chapter 2 this morning, we will unpack that idea of finding our life with God this morning. Well, last week, we introduced the Mulligan series. Um, We know that God is a God who gives second chances, and we see that very clearly in the book of Jonah, among other places. God is a God who gives us second chances, do-overs, mulligans, because He knows us, right? He knows how we are a bunch of mess-ups. I'm sorry, guys. I mean, we're imperfect people. We've all blown it from time to time. He knows us because He made us. He knows our innermost thoughts. He knows us better than we know ourselves, and God knows we don't have a chance Unless we get second chances. Unless we get a mulligan. And so through Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and His sacrifice on the cross, we have atonement for our sins. We have redemption. We have forgiveness. We have the ability to get up and start over. Well, last week, chapter 1 of Jonah was an incredibly Jonah-centered part of the story, wasn't it? Uh, We found last week Jonah was making plans. Jonah was using his resources to buy his ticket on that ship. Jonah was fleeing from God. Jonah was running away. This week, God catches up to Jonah. And in this second act of this great drama of the book of Jonah, God is going to get his distracted prophet's attention Um, And God is going to return to his rightful place as the star of the show. Jonah had his fun. Jonah got to call the shots. Jonah got to do it his way. How did that work out for Jonah? 
Not well. <laughs> God sent that storm over the sea, that violent storm that tossed the ship about, nearly tore it apart. Then the crew threw Jonah at his request. They threw him overboard because that was their only chance to save the lives of those sailors. And Jonah then sunk toward the bottom of the Mediterranean Sea where he was swallowed by that giant fish where he will spend in the bowels of that fish three days and three nights. Have you ever just kind of imagined as best you could what that would be like? I mean, it's really hard, right, to imagine. What would that be like to be stuffed inside the bowels of this fish? What would that, what would that feel like for three days, three nights, 72 hours? What would that, what, what would that sound like? as this digestive system of this fish is at work and you're hoping you're not going to be uh, taken into that digestive system of the fish, what would that smell like? What would that look like? Well, that's one we can kind of figure out. It would look like total and complete darkness, okay? You wouldn't see a thing. Your eyes would not adjust to that. You are inside, totally enclosed in the belly of this fish. And you are hundreds of feet below the surface of the sea. Total darkness for three days and three nights. Remember what we talked about last week? One of the things we talked about, and we referenced Hebrews 12. Talking about parenting for a second. How good mommies and good daddies, good parents who love their kids are willing to discipline their kids because they care about them. They want to keep them safe. They want to help their children grow into strong young women and young men. And God, as a heavenly father, uses discipline in our lives because he loves us. And at times, he needs to get our attention. But the father in Jonah chapter 1 just can't get Jonah's attention, can he? And so because Jonah is not listening, Jonah is not looking up, Jonah is not paying attention to God, God in his desperate love for this prophet chooses to discipline Jonah and sometimes he chooses to discipline us to get our attention, right? So inside a, a fish... In the depths of the sea, he gets Jonah's attention. And suddenly there, anything and everything that Jonah could possibly turn to, anything that Jonah could lean on, it has been systematically stripped away. What else are you going to do in the belly of a fish below the surface of the sea except pray? Okay. There's no cell service down there, okay? He had to pray to God. God was the only one he could talk to. So basically, this is how I look at it. Basically, God applied pressure on the life of his servant until Jonah finally cried uncle 
until Jonah finally said, Okay, I give up. Enough. Save me. So write this down. Well, first of all, let me just say crisis moments, these moments of pressure, these moments of pain, these are great opportunities, if you think about it, to figure out what is it that you are really trusting in? In whom or what are you really putting your trust? So a crisis moment, this is the first bullet point there, a crisis moment tends to expose in whom or what you are trusting to deal with life. To get by. People trust in all sorts of different things, right? I mean, some people turn to drugs and alcohol. Some people turn to a series of destructive relationships that blow up and blow up and blow up. Um, Some people turn to to money. Um, People turn to all sorts of things in which they hope to find safety, rescue, escape, a second chance, right? And when life hurts you, and it will, we know that. We're big boys and girls in here. When life gets hard, when life puts pressure on you, it will inevitably shine a light on that person, on that thing, on that goal, on that idea that you have been trusting in. Who is your first responder in a crisis? What do you think about first? Is it money Is it that person? Is it that idea, that philosophy? Who is your first refinement? There you will find your... There you will find your God, ultimately. The thing of greatest value. The thing that you believe will save you. And I don't know what that is for you. I'm not 100% sure what it was for Jonah. Okay? I think it was himself. I think his God was self-reliance. I really do, because... We know this. God wanted to save the Assyrians. The 120,000 men, women, and children of Nineveh. God wanted to save them. Jonah wanted to kill them. Really. He hated them. He didn't want to see God save those people. He wanted to see them go up in a mushroom cloud. So the prophet trusted his own sense of justice. Slash vengeance. Instead of trusting in the good heart of God, a heart that wanted to give them mercy, grace, a second chance. The second thing is this. In blank I trust, and I'm not going to fill that in for you. I want you to think about that this week. In blank I trust, where do I turn in my moment of desperation? It may be Jesus Christ. It may be. It may be something else. But the the call is just to be, or the invitation is just to be honest. Who is my first responder when life applies pressure to me? And you decide what to put there. By the way, um, you know, simply going to church does not necessarily mean that God is your answer to that question. Um, I mean, look at Jonah, for example. Jonah is the prophet of God, okay? He's not listening to God. He's not turning to God until he has absolutely nowhere else to turn. God is his last resort, okay? So going to church doesn't necessarily mean that God is the one you trust in. By the way, let me say this. Going to church is a great thing. 
you woke up this morning and you decided to gather together with a group of people of faith to worship God, to look up and to listen to the voice of God in the Holy Scriptures. That's a great way to start your week. So congratulations on that. Um, So just think about that. In whom or in what do I put my trust? If I have trouble answering that, what what I do is I look back to a a crisis moment in my life. Maybe it was last week, last year, a couple of years ago. A place where I was really up against it. And I need to remember, okay, where did I turn? Where did I look for my answer? Was your first response turning to God? Or was he somewhere down on the list for Jonah? God was his last resort. Okay? Only when Jonah had no other alternative, only then did he cry, Uncle. Only then did he say, God, save me. By the way, that not only tells us something about Jonah, that tells us a lot about God. God hears the prayer of a man for whom he, God, has become the last resort. And he listens. And he answers. And he saves Jonah. Listen to these first words. Jonah will speak to God in the book of Jonah. Jonah chapter 2, verse 2. In my distress... I called to the Lord, uncle. In my distress, I called to the Lord. And he answered me, from the depths of the grave, I called for help. And you listen to my cry. In other words, uncle. In my distress, I called out. When the fat lady was on the stage warming up, when I knew it was about over, from the grave, I called out to you. And though Jonah prayed here, let's be totally honest, and we can be, we know what's going on here. Though Jonah prays here in Jonah chapter 2, Jonah is not on board with God. Save me. Oh, I've got to go to Nineveh? Sure. Whatever. Yeah, okay. But Jonah's not on board with God. In fact, this is the interesting thing about the book of Jonah. Everyone else in the book of Jonah is on board with God. At the end of chapter 1, the pagan sailors are suddenly worshiping Yahweh. The Ninevites repent. And turn to God. They get on board with God. The giant fish, on board with God. The worm in chapter 4 does what God wants him to do. Jonah's the only one not on board. And so chapter 2 is pretty short. Let's just read it. Chapter 2. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From the depths of the grave, I called for help. You listened to my cry. You hurled me into the deep, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled around me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters 
threatened me. The deep surrounded me. I love the image here. Seaweed was wrapped around my head like a turban of seaweed. To the, de- to the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. Second chance. But you brought my life up from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord. My prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols, they forfeit the grace that could be theirs. But I, with a song of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will make good. Salvation comes from the Lord, and the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Now, there are some images. Wow. So the first couple of chapters of Jonah's story invite us to consider in whom or what am I trusting? Is it God or is it something else? Is it an alternative, a substitute, or in Jonah's words there in chapter 2, a false God? In whom or what am I trusting? The first thing I want you to write down here is this. God versus the alternatives. The first thing I want you to write down is this. A clear choice. Okay, we're going to have a truism here. This statement has to be true uh, because it exhausts all the alternatives. Here it is. I either trust in God or something other than God. There are no other options. I either trust in God or I trust in something other than God. Another way of putting this would be to say that everybody serves God. Just not the same God. Everybody serves God. Everybody trusts God. Just not the same God. You can be an agnostic or an atheist. You may not like the language, the God language here. But even then, you still have an ultimate thing that you trust in. An ultimate someone or some idea or some philosophy that you trust in. You still have a God. You still have a God. You value and trust something the most. Generally speaking, and this is interesting, generally speaking, the lesser gods are actually good things. We live in a society and a culture where lots of people trust in fitness. They're depending on a good diet and on working out. That's good. We live in a culture and a time where a lot of people trust in knowledge. That's good. Some people trust ultimately, value ultimately their family. Family's good. There are people who who lean into money, who trust money. Money can be a good thing. But as we've said before, when a good thing becomes a God thing, it becomes a dangerous thing. When a good thing becomes a God thing, it becomes a dangerous thing. And like we saw earlier When we feel pressure or pain, we begin to more clearly see which God we serve. Either the Creator God revealed to us in the Scriptures or a substitute, an alternative, a false God, if you will, that we have decided at some point through our experience, this one works better for me. 
Well, when the storm overwhelmed that ship that Jonah was traveling on and he was thrown overboard and sunk into the waters of the Mediterranean Sea, it's an interesting part of the story, isn't it? And before we get to Jonah in the fish, kind of rewinding, remember all of those sailors on board the ship. Things get really bad. Like, I think we're all going to die. And the sailors, where did they turn? What did they do? This is from Jonah chapter 1, verse 5. Let's read this together. If you put Jonah 1, verse 5 up there, read this with me. Fearing for their lives, the desperate sailors shouted to their gods for help. And that is what people always do. Fearing for our lives. Sensing danger, I'm really in trouble. Everybody begins to call out to their God for help. So I'm convinced that, yes, everybody has a God they trust in. The question is, do I trust in Yahweh? Or do I trust in some lesser God? And with that choice comes consequences. So write this down, the clear consequence. When I look to something other than the Lord for ultimate meaning and satisfaction, I move away from God. Again, I don't think that's a really controversial point. I think you can be virtually any belief system and go, yeah, sure. Yeah, if I trust in something other than God, then I drift from God. In Jonah chapter 2, verse 8, the prophet says this, those who worship hollow gods empty gods. They walk away. They drift away. They move away from their only true love. And from inside the belly of the fish, Jonah acknowledges a truth. When people offer their affections and their allegiances to someone other than our Father in heaven, they inevitably drift move away from God. And no one, and certainly, and I like that in that verse, no one and certainly no thing ever has or ever will love you like God loves you. So a certain consequence of turning to an alternative, turning to a a substitute or a false God, if you will, is this drift. I'm not looking up. I'm not looking up because I'm looking to something other than God. Does that make sense? And that leads to number three here, a confused ethic, a confused morality. Um, When I trust in anything other than God, I tend to love things and use people instead of loving people and using things. Okay? God has filled the world with wonderful things for us to enjoy and use and manipulate. People are not those things. Okay? People are to be respected and honored and loved. And when I drift from God, when I begin to cling on to lesser things... 
I start using people and loving those things. We'll talk more about that in a couple of weeks in chapter 4 of the book of Jonah. But here it is in a nutshell. What Jonah loved, okay, what we see in his story, what he really loved was whatever object or thing at the moment that could bring him comfort or relief. It's a plant in Jonah chapter 4. We'll see that in a couple of weeks. The Ninevites, the 120,000 human beings who were lost, who God wanted to reach. He didn't care a thing about them. Did he go and preach? Yeah. I guess I got to do that to save my skin. Sure. I mean, I was swallowed up by a whale or by a giant fish. Sorry. If I don't obey God here, the whale vomits me out on the shore. What's going to happen next? No, I'm not going to Nineveh. A giant hippo is going to swallow me? Yeah, I'll go. Sure, I'm there. But if anything, he's using the Ninevites to check that off and say, okay, we're good, God. All right. We're covered. So that's the rub with the good things, right, that we turn to instead of God. When we turn good things into God things, we get out of balance. We do. Um, I'm in balance. I'm thriving when my relationships and my money and my stuff and my goals are kingdom-oriented, are God-oriented when they're not... When I put those lesser things on the throne in the driver's seat, then I, became a, I become a really lousy version of myself. My life is thrown out of balance. My marriage gets out of balance. My parenting gets out of balance. My choices get out of balance because I'm using people. And I'm loving stuff. All right, more about that in a couple of weeks. All right, the, the, the next thing here is the catastrophic result of this. The catastrophic result. Anything other than God will let me down at the moment I most need it. Anything other than God will let you down at the moment you most need it. When those pagan sailors, the storm is attacking our ship, it looks like everything is lost. When they were desperate and they called out to their gods... Nothing. Nothing. The gods did nothing. And there came a time in Jonah's life, and there will be times in my life and your life, when whatever we rely on, if it is not God, when it will inevitably let us down. Let me tell you this. You know God loves you. You know that. He sent his only begotten. He sent Jesus here to seek and save you. God paid an awfully high price to give you a second chance. And we acknowledge Jesus as God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Jesus is God with Father and Holy Spirit, but we are also sons and daughters according to Scripture because through Christ we have been adopted. (laughs) And we can pray as Jesus taught us, our Father, which art in heaven. He loves us. 
He thinks of us as his children. We are his children through Jesus Christ. And that's amazing. Now, if somehow I manage to skate through life trusting in something other than the Lord and his love for me, if somehow I make it through, then I can promise you at some point, it'll stop working. And this is probably not a newsflash for you. I certainly hope it's not. You're going to die at some point. 100% of us are going to face death at some point. We all have an expiration date. And I can promise you, if your money or your beauty or your talents or your fitness or whatever else, if it hasn't let you down ever, it will let you down at that point. But when God raised Jesus from death to life. He was establishing that his children, that for his children, death will not have the last word. That we will live eternally. That even death cannot steal away what God has for us. Every other God will absolutely, for sure, let you down at the moment of your death. No matter how much healthy eating and living and hours on the treadmill, no matter how much of that you do, at some point you're going to die. No matter um, how much money you acquire for yourself, you're Bill Gates, you're Donald Trump, you're somebody like that, at some point your money cannot save you. And I love modern medicine, but at some point, At some point, modern medicine will no longer have enough ideas and ingenuity and science to keep your physical body alive. You know that. I know that. So whether it is at that moment, that moment of death, or at another moment when I desperately need salvation, anything other than God will let me down at that moment. Now, Jonah made some big mistakes. This is where we're going to wrap up this morning. We know that. Um, We've made mistakes, too. That's why this story, I think, is so inspiring and encouraging to us. Jonah made some big mistakes. Jonah wasn't looking up. However, God gave Jonah a second chance, and guess what? God can give you a second chance. So God gave Jonah and gives me a second chance to come back to him. We talked about this last week. Don't think that mercy, grace, redemption, second chance is just, wow, the slate was washed clean. I can go back to exactly what I was doing before. That's not what God wants for you. He gives us a second chance so that we can look up, so that we can live in orientation with Him, so that we can enjoy the life that He has for us. He gives us a second chance so that we can be the people we were always meant to be. Not so that we can continue wasting the precious life, the gift of life that He has given us. Jonah chapter 2, verse 8. You pulled me up from that grave alive, O God. What about you? Will you look up and acknowledge the reign of the King in your life?
acknowledge the sovereignty of Jesus Christ in your life. Baptism is available this morning, and it is a beautiful um, representation of what we have in Christ. That in our sins, we're dead. And so baptism is this burial in the water. And that through Jesus, we're raised to a new life. A second chance. Forgiven. Called to be more than we have ever been. Led by the Spirit. Shaped by the Spirit in the community of faith. To this new relationship where we're fixing our eyes on Jesus. Not the distractions that have led us so far astray. If you need to be baptized today, you can do that. And wear Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Maybe, though, you're here as a believer, but you have been distracted. And maybe even this morning, you know, you can look back on the last weeks and months, and you know that God had dropped down some crossing gates to protect you, to keep you safe, to help you walk in righteousness. But you ignored those. And you can repent. You can confess your sins and come back to this God who gives second chances. Come back to Him. Look up this morning. Maybe you need to look up this morning in prayer. And as we always do, we would just encourage you to get together with me or one of our shepherds or somebody around you and just pray over whatever that is that's burdening you this morning. Let's look up together as we stand and praise. Bless the Lord, O my soul, O my soul, worship His holy name. Sing like
uh, Megan has come once again with a prayer request for her cousin who has a young baby boy named Elliot. And we prayed about this already. We're going to pray about, about Elliot again. We're going to pray over him because he's had some bleeding in his brain. Wednesday, he's going to go in for neurosurgery. It may be the first of uh, maybe several. Where do they live, by the way? Arkansas. So let's just bow our heads and let's pray for Jana and Elliot and just this situation. God, um, mm, we know, Lord, in our minds that death is inevitable, but it really stings when a young one is in danger of losing their life. It's just hard. And so we pray over Elliot. We pray this will not be the end for him. But we pray in whatever way you choose to work, you can deliver him from this, this dangerous health situation, Father, be it uh, through your direct intervention or through medical science and surgery. Um, we just pray, God, in the name of Jesus, that you'll heal, heal Elliot. I pray that you'll give peace to Jana and Megan and to that family, that they can draw near to you in this time, that they can look up and trust in you. Father, we close out our time this morning acknowledging that we are a sinful people, that we, like Jonah, um, we don't always pay attention to you. We don't always notice you. And sometimes we willfully ignore what we know you would have us do. And we ask for a second chance this morning, Lord, not to continue doing things our way, not to continue making the story about us, but to turn to you and be drawn into your bigger story of redemption and grace. We want to live lives that say yes to you. Live lives of surrender to the Lordship of Jesus. Bless us and help us, Holy Spirit, as we do this. In the name of Christ, amen. You're dismissed. Thank you for joining us today in our worship here at the Preston Crest Church of Christ in Dallas, Texas. You may be coming to Dallas sometime in the future, and if you do come, please worship with us at the Preston Crest Church. We're located on Preston Road, two blocks south of LBJ Expressway. Almost everyone in Dallas knows this intersection, and when you come, you'll be warmly welcomed. In addition to our congregational singing, we've also included recorded music by the Zoe Group. You can find them online at zoegroup.org. Again, thank you for sharing our worship, and may God bless you this week. How great is our God. Sing with me how great is our God. And all will see how great, how great is our God. And age to age she stands. And time is in his hands. Beginning and the end. Beginning and the end. The Godhead three in one. Father, Spirit, Son. 
See how great. 